Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, I sell Mark to invest in blockchain and AI. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, I'm joined as I am always joined <laughs> by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about the news from the week, including Summer Games Fest coming for E3's neck. And then on Thursday, we're doing the ABCs of Square Enix. But Mark, in the meantime, how's it going? That, Patrick, like a true professional, we just, you just, kept, you just keep you just going. You just keep going. going. The show must go on. The show does go on. If we've learned anything mm-hmm. from The Greatest Showman, a movie I've never seen, but I assume at some point he says that, right? He probably, I, yeah. think, I think he, I'm assuming he says, I, as the greatest showman, proclaim the, the show, show must, must go, go on. on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what we are doing is we are uh, seeing where E3 failed, the show not going on. And we're like, well, that's the end of E3. If our show doesn't go on, Mark, we may as well be dead. Oh, man. This show is like a shark. It always has to move forward. There's that's right. no that's looking right. back mm-hmm. because we can't. We physically are incapable of doing that. Don't so. really have a neck. <laughs> As a show. I don't know what a sh- what the show's neck would be, but my copy of Sonic Forces. Speaking of things that uh, can't be stopped or slowed, Sonic the Hedgehog, would you like to borrow my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch? You can, or at least you can get on a list to participate in the program wherein that is part of it. <laughs> uh, all you got to do is email us at nintendocartridgesociety at gmail.com and give us a mailing address. We can send you my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch. Mark, this thing has spent more time out of my possession than in my possession, but I'm still going to say it's my copy. I think that is fair. You, um, Because it, it was your copy originally. Yes. and possess- But possession is nine-tenths of the law, right? But if, I, if you lend something to somebody... I mean, essentially, you are like a Sonic Forces library, and you wouldn't say mm. that you know a book presumably right. spends more time out of a library than in a library. Do you think that's true? I depends on the book, right? Dan Brown, sure, but like, I mean, John Grisham, definitely. Okay, do people get those from the library? Or do they just like pay a dollar for them at the uh, uh, the airport bookstore? Well, I think it's probably both. Okay, because if you're not at an airport. Then you got to get from somewhere. If you're not at an airport, why are you getting a John Grisham novel? Because you love <laughs> books written by former lawyers mm-hmm. turned novelists. You can borrow my copy of this game, play it for as long as you want, send it back. There may be a copy of Untitled Goose Game in there. It's a perfect borrowing program, uh, and there will never be a John Grisham novel in the package that I send you. I guarantee you that. But there could be a copy of Untitled Goose Game. Did we already talk about that? I, don't, I think so. This, we're off to a great start here, Mark. I'm I, very happy with what we've I done so far. I genuinely don't know if the tangent we went off on libraries like came to a conclusion, but I think people understand the point we are driving at. Is if, was I a lib? Am I a library or do I own it? Right. Yeah. And the the answer, the answer either is, way is I own it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that was the point. All right. Here's another thing you can do: so you can leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We appreciate it so much. It helps people find the show. Um, Patrick and I love reading the reviews 
And if you leave us a review on the US Apple Podcast Store, we can see it. And so we'll give you a shout out. If you leave it, if you leave us a review anywhere else, we can't see it, but we would love to give you a shout out. So hit us up on Twitter, send us an email, definitely let us know. Thank you so much to Tad Dude, Tad in Colorado. Big shout out to Tad leaving us a five-star review on the U.S. Apple Podcast Store this last week. Yes, thank you, Tad. We appreciate it. And a shout out to you. Um, also, here's another thing. We're doing a Discord server. We're doing a Discord. Get in our Discord. All you got to do is uh, email us or hit us up on Twitter, and we will let you into that Discord. It's a bunch of fun people talking about Nintendo stuff. Um, it's been super uh, enjoyable so far, and I don't see any reason why it should stop. Yeah, I, I think I said this when we first announced the Discord, but it's worth reiterating. If you have never used Discord before, this is a great like, uh, don't be intimidated. Patrick and I never really used Discord all that much. And so we're Pat, uh, Discord newbies. We're figuring it out together. You should join just because it's a, it's a cool place to hang out. Yeah, and you know, someday some like big Nintendo news is gonna like come down the pipe, and if you want to like see some reasonable people reacting to it excitedly and not like Twitter, like come to our Discord. It's gonna be a great place when stuff happens. All right, Mark, let's get into what we've been playing this week. From this point on, no more mistakes in the music. That was it. That's what I what happened at the top of the show. That was it. No more mistakes. Mark, I can continue to play Dragon Quest Builders too. Um, I am now uh, past the point that I had previously gotten in the Jumbo demo, um, and uh, I just I love it. It's great. It's cute. The uh, the design, the sort of like chibier design of uh, the Dragon Quest characters is awesome um and i just want to live in that world kind of forever what is the combat like combat's uh just sort of like hack and slashy oh okay um so like um you are uh always followed around by one character um who has like heavy weapons and you have like a smaller sword and so you just like push the button to swing and that's almost literally it um you know you can dodge out of the way of attacks but that's really just by like controlling so you're not in the way luckily uh the enemies do a like really slow animation like telegraphing of what they're about to do so like you can usually brute force your way through battles that you probably shouldn't win yet but you don't have like magic or anything like that are there like rpg elements like do your characters level up they level up you give them different weapons um your towns level up um there are so many like different little leveling systems happening all over the place that like you know, oh, now my guys are better at, like, tilling the soil or they're better at gathering water or, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, there, there are lots of little ways to level up, but it's n- never so much as, like, uh, you know, there's no, like, skill tree, for example, which I'm sure we're going to talk about when we get to uh, your adventures with Dragon Quest XI as Psychos of the Lucifer Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the progress is so much more so much less linear, I guess, um, because uh, so many of the goals are like build up the town um, or build up your town's capacity to like do stuff um, and uh, just like adventure out from there. So my only experience with the Dragon Quest Builders franchise was I played the first game for a couple of hours. I thought it was super cute and a lot of fun, just uh, didn't have the time to sink into it. But it kind of, you know, in the opening hours in the tutorial, it talks about you build up your town and then at night or at different intervals, 
it is um, monsters. Yeah, like monsters attack it. Yes. Is that a core mechanic of the series? I'm just trying to imagine yeah. like what the gameplay, how it expands, how like the story expands outside of, you know, just like the one town on this small island type thing right that well I, and that I've, I've experienced and and I've not gone off of the I mean that there there's a, a a a you make landfall early on um, but you don't stay there you are, are quickly transported to a, another island where you then start to like build up a a, a village and um, it's cool like the the narrative is all about um, the uh, children of Hargon who are all about uh, destruction um, and that they've sort of like run the church or like some sort of uh, organization like that that has made everyone on this island um, believe that like destruction is the 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 only thing and the fact that you are a builder with the somehow supernatural ability to build things um, has like made you scary to them but you build things and make their lives better and then they like work with you and like live in your town oh cool um so like there, there's a uh a farmer that you meet early on um who is like uh he's hanging out by like a broken down barn and like you know sort of like shredded up field uh and he's like yeah we ruined all of this i used to be a farmer and it, you know farming is in in my blood for generations uh and he's like oh i don't i don't know what'll happen if you put a fence around that whole crop area and a scarecrow in the middle of it and then you do it and he's like oh, i can't control myself and he starts like hoeing the field um it's very funny and very cute um but so, like, that's sort of, like, the story sort of spins out from there, and so the progression sort of spins out from there, too, that you are reintroducing the inhabitants of this world to uh, order and peace and uh, building things rather than just tearing them down. That's really interesting. And I don't know if you're far enough yet, but, like, is it a singular location that you're building, or does the story, like, take you to other places? story takes you to other places, for sure. Um I, I have only worked on one town so far, um, but I have gathered resources from many different little like outposts. And I wonder if uh, I will be developing those outposts again, or um, if that's all just resources to the one big village that like gets bigger and bigger. And then you know I eventually go to another island. I did check out because um, you can go to you can visit other people's um, islands not while they're there or anything. Um, but you know, just like people who've put their work up for display and man, some people, uh, have invested a ton of time into building stuff in Dragon Quest Builders. I gotta say that, uh, visiting those islands on Nintendo Switch online, uh, doesn't run super smooth. Uh, and I wonder if that is a function of the online code or if it is a function of just the Switch having a hard time running all of these like custom objects. Uh, in the game, or if it's just too many custom objects in a game anyway, and any hardware would like chug on it. But like, uh, it's like fully down to like 10 frames per second oh, or like really, really rough. Overall, that sounds fun though. Yeah, it's super fun. I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, Mark, the other thing that happened is uh, my Sega Genesis controller came. Nice. The one that I ordered on this show. Um, it and my uh, Animal Crossing um, coasters arrived. The coasters aren't as good as I thought they were going to be, but it's fine. They were free. Um, and the Genesis controller, uh, tons of fun. I, I spent uh, the weekend playing Streets of Rage 2, which is way better than I knew. Uh, like, I didn't really know. I don't really know the Streets of Rage series um but it is you know a a final fight like game you know just sort of a, a a brawler um but i gotta say the gameplay of it was better than final fight 
Cool. Um, like it, it's maybe not as uh, varied and like graphically interesting as Final Fight, but just a better game to play. Does it have co-op? Yeah. Oh, we should yeah. play sometime. We should. I only have one Genesis controller. <laughs> um, and then I also spent a little bit of time with Dynamite Heady, uh, which is a, a treasure game um, where you play as like a weird ant thing that throws its, its head around. Um, so it's sort of a combination platformer um, like bullet hell sort of like run and gun, which is a, a very like sort of treasure um, style of, of gameplay. But Mark, I had this question and I posed it on the Discord and I, I, uh, no one really knew the answer. Um, I remember the action on the buttons on the Genesis controller being a little rubbery, a little spongy almost, that like it didn't, like the resistance on it was, it felt less digital and more analog, if that makes sense, right? That it like, there was some give to the button presses. Um, and that is not the case with the Switch Genesis controller where I, every time I push one of those buttons, there's, there's a click. So if someone, if someone who has a, an original Genesis controller or strong memories of their original Genesis controller, um, let me know. Uh, write into us, Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com, gmail.com or tweet at us at Nincart Society or get in on that Discord and let us know. Yeah, I had so few experiences with the Genesis, like um, dedicated experiences with Genesis that I have no real sense memory of the controller, yeah. but I feel like it would be like the other controllers that Nintendo has released for Nintendo Switch Online have been so accurate to yes. like the original hardware that it'd be kind of weird to me to, if the Genesis one wasn't. And so I wonder if maybe you are, uh, you were playing with an older controller that had been worn in or something at the time. Yeah, it's 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 possible. It's, it's possible that I played out or or I played on third party controllers or like I, I don't know what. I just remember. Um, like that is part of my overall sense memory of playing with the Genesis versus playing uh, Super NES. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I have been putting the majority of my time in a Dragon Quest Eleven S Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch. I am still in Act Two, and I uh, spoilers as always, I guess, for this segment at this point. Um, so if you don't want to hear, go ahead and jump ahead a few minutes. But I have get now at this point gathered rab and uh silvando and i have just gone back to the octa octagonia which is now like a monster casino Mm -hmm. and i did the i attempted once the fight with jade and then as soon as you defeat jade which is not that hard of a fight you immediately without any chance to heal or anything like that are in this second fight with the monster owner of the casino named um, Booga. And this fight I is difficult. It's a tough one, yeah. I've already, I've already died, and I am looking for strategies on what I should be doing differently. Like, uh, I haven't been using the forge at all, so I have not really leveled, except out of, like, the tutorial when you first get it. I, or the forge. I have not been um, cr- like crafting my items to improve them, and I also don't know that I have really like optimized my party that is existing today. Like, I'm wondering if I need to. Uh, I can't. I can't remember what they call it in game, but basically, like re-roll my characters. Yeah, yeah, them. yeah. Um, so yeah, a, I don't know. You you can respec them with like very you. There's some sort of currency that you have to spend for it, right? So basically, or something. Yeah, basically, when you go to a church or a safe point, right? Um, you spend. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's maybe like twenty 
uh, gold or whatever the currency is in Dragon Quest Gil, maybe. Like, you spend 20 per point. Um, and so your character at this point might have, like, 60 points to spend. And um, so it's, like, it gets kind of expensive, but not a crazy amount to yeah. start. But you also don't have to start completely over. So the way that the leveling system works is it's... um uh The grid is... Even really know how to describe it like these like squares that are uh laid out on a board yeah they're, so they're you... like little hexagons on a yeah. board um and like you can only ever do you can only ever select a, a hexagon that is adjacent to a hexagon you've already selected and there are some of them that you need to um surround on two or sometimes three sides before you can even see what that reward would be and it's on, yeah, exactly. And it's on like one giant board. So all the hexagons are connected one way or another. But each kind of like quadrant of the hexagon is for a different skill set. So it might be like swords versus great swords. And so you choose kind of like which area you want to go into. Right. And, and there are some abilities that are sort of like sandwiched between like two of like the specializations. So like if you want to uh, get like, yeah, I, I this isn't right, but like dual wielding that you would have to level up both daggers and boomerangs right. to a certain point. Yeah. And so when you're respecking, you can choose like which section you want to respec. You don't have to completely start from scratch. So I don't know. I was kind of looking up strategies online and people are saying that this is a difficult fight, like one of the most difficult in the game. Uh, and part of what makes it so difficult is the is Booga like saps magic from you and so it becomes really challenging to heal because in the beginning part of the fight he does a lot of damage but in the beginning part of the fight you know you have your healers that it's pretty easy for them to just like keep you buffed yeah but pretty quickly you run out of that so yeah i don't know i don't know do you have any uh uh, the spells that just like where you regain health slowly like a, a regeneration spell i forget what it's called in dragon quest um so silvando has a spell that he can cast like magic that he can cast on people that does that okay um but it's so few it's, it's small yeah. that it, it's not it hasn't i have not found it to be super helpful so i i don't know that's kind of where i am i'm i'm on the cusp of getting the party back together, you know, because after this, I mean, I guess once I get Jade, I'll still have three characters to go. So I guess I'll be like halfway through it. But um, the Eric chapter is great. Okay. Um, and that's the the, the next one. Um, and then the sisters. It's uh, I I you gotta call me when you, when you hit this part with the sisters. <laughs> I know. I that's the thing is I feel like you're letting me down. This this part <laughs> this part in Act Two yeah. I'm not loving. Yeah. Like. We talked about before the build up to the end of Act One, and you know the Act One finale is so good, but Act Two just kind of feels like starting from scratch, and you have to get the ball rolling again. And I have not been loving that part, but I know that when I get through it, it'll be worth it. It's just right now I'm I'm not having as much fun as I was, you know, like ten hours ago in the game. Uh, man, it's it's so interesting that you say uh, you know it'll be worth it. And I'm just like rolling that around in my head, knowing what you have ahead of you. There is a moment of heartbreak ahead of you. There are a couple moments of like pretty severe heartbreak uh-huh. ahead of you. Um, and I am just interested to see how you experience them. I don't want to give any more away or really talk any more about it. Um, but uh, 
the, those listeners who have played this game know what I'm talking about. Um, so uh, I guess we'll just talk about it as you keep playing, okay? Sounds good. Uh, okay, good. Um, we are now going to... That, that's what we've been playing this week. Let's get into the new releases and what we might be playing next week. The new releases are weird every week now. Yeah, we're kind of in an interesting place where there's not a lot. Uh, for the past few weeks, it's felt like there hasn't been a ton happening. Um, without doing any research on Thursday, May 12th, there's a Switch eShop game called Summer Days, which I assume is you're just playing through the opening song of Grease over and over. Uh, that that I mean, that's Summer Nights, right? Well, I guess it's the prequel to it's the, the prequel to Greece, Greece right? Yeah. It's Greece Zero. Um, there's also a game coming out on uh, Thursday called Flippin' Cactus. And then on Friday, May 13th, Evil Dead the game is released. And Patrick, this is one that you have highlighted. Uh, only because I recognized Evil Dead as a as a property. Um, I don't really have anything to say about it. Uh, uh, a, a weird, a, a weird couple weeks here for um for for releases. I think. Yeah, we're about a month away from um Mario Strikers, mm-hmm. and I feel like then we kind of kick into gear a little bit. Summer's going to be crazy. Oh, so I think a little, little bit of a lull. Yeah, and we're about a month away from um like game sh- summer game showcases starting to kick off, and you know there'll be a bunch of like, and it's out today's uh, in there. Um, or and it's coming out soon, or uh, all that kind of stuff. So I, I feel like everyone's just uh, keeping their powder dry at the moment, um, and games will launch at some point. All right, Mark, let's close this segment out. Now it is time for a regular segment on our, segment on our show. It is time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or a group of performers didn't play their instruments for four minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So, for the duration of one performance of 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Uh, Mark, today we are going to attempt to do a ranking, the 10 best Muppets. Maybe it's not a, a ranking, just the top 10 Muppets, um, as suggested by Lego Law in our fun Discord group, which, again, you should totally join. Um but okay, Mark, are we come? Are we ranking? I don't are think we, we should just rank. Up I think we should just if we we should just come up with ten. Kermit, Kermit, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Gonzo, no, we're not doing a ranking. We're but, not doing a ranking. But I think probably the best Muppet, arguably the best Muppet. Well, I mean, Kermit's already on there, so sure, we'll, we can put we can put Gonzo. Um, would you not put Gonzo? Would you have not? No, not I, I would, I would, but it's just not before Kermit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. <laughs> um, uh, what about Animal? Um, yeah, I think Animal for sure. Um, it's happening. <laughs> you doing I'm, okay, Mark? I'm having a here, I'll challenging do it. I'll, I'll do it. time. I'll do it. I'll, uh, we, we're having a tough time typing in the doc here. Yeah, okay. So okay. Gonzo, yes. Animal, yes. Janice, yes. I think Janice is a top 10. You think Janice? Now, uh, we're, we're already, uh, we're already wading into the electric mayhem here. Uh-huh. Um, do how many members of the Electric Mayhem can we put in the top ten Muppets? Because I, Doctor Teeth, I, I'm, I'm not a Doctor Teeth booster. Like I feel like oh, Animal okay. and Janice are the two from uh, Electric Mayhem that I would put in here. So I think Animal for sure, Janice maybe. What? I think Janice. I would put Piggy before Janice. Okay, I'm uh, hard truths. I don't like Miss Piggy that much. Well, look, 
she's toxic and she's bad, but she's a classic. She's got to go in your top ten you're, Muppets. You're letting her get away with. You're letting her get away with the Patrick. All right. Well, Janice isn't going in there either. <laughs> let's let's talk about other big guns that we just have to address. Fozzie. Does Fozzie go in here, or is Fozzie truly a hack and we don't need him in our top ten? I I like Fozzie fine. Okay. Um, let's let's put Fozzie in here. Okay. Fozzie's Fozzie's going in yeah. on a. a Perhaps probationary period here. How about what do you think? How do you feel about Rizzo the rat? I'm okay on Rizzo. Uh-huh. I, it's Rizzo. Rizzo and Gonzo are great in the um, Christmas Carol. They're incredible. Yeah, together. that's true. Um, but I, I don't. I don't know on his own how how I feel about him. I how do you how do you feel about Rolf the dog? Um. I like Fozzie more than I like Rolf. Mm, I like uh, Rolf more than I like Fozzie. Mm. We may not have compatible Muppet <laughs> opinions. <laughs> well, okay. I think we're only at five, so I okay. think we can absolutely put Rolf in there. Um, I think that Swedish Chef mm. is a top ten Muppet. He's an all-time funniest Muppet, I yeah. think. Uh, that, that, that's a good shtick. His weird human hands uh, freak me out. Um, I'm going to bring him up, but I don't think he goes on the list. Sam Eagle. Mm-hmm. I think Sam Eagle is funniest in the Muppet 3D movie that is in some like Disney theme parks. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, Muppet Four and a Half D or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, yeah, not the biggest Sam Eagle person. What about Pepe the Prawn? No, I don't need him. <laughs> Do you like him? No. Do you like Pepe the Prawn? I don't really like Pepe the Prawn. Look, I. S- I'm an old enough man that I register Pepe as a uh, new Muppet, even though he's been around for like 25 years. Um, any of the Sesame Street Muppets, uh, Kermit notwithstanding, uh, mm-hmm. uh, factor into this. Your Elmos, your Grover, Cookie Monster. Cookie Monster? I, I think Cookie... Is well, Cookie Monster a Muppet? Yeah, are we are we wading into delicate territory? But you know what? I say let's go for it. I think, I, say- I think if... if it, but it has to be like exceptional, right? Okay, yeah. So Cookie Monster, yes. Oscar the Grouch, for sure. Oh yeah, Oscar definitely. He's got that "I Love Trash" song. You know that "I Love uh-huh. Trash" song? It's so good. Oh wait, 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 wait! I don't want to. Uh, Sweetums. I like. He is funny. Sweetums is funny. Sweetums, but I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't know. Well, we only I've have two spots on left. <laughs> we only have one spot left. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's a not set. gonna be. It's not gonna be Walter from uh, the Jason Segel Muppet it's movie. Not, it's not. Uh, it's not going to be Bean the Bunny, even though he's obviously adorable and Mark is wrong for not liking him. I um, it's not going to be '80s Robot from the Jason Segel movie. What about Big Bird? Ooh, well, the thing is, we're also leaving off all the Fraggles here. Yeah, I actually don't know. The, I've never really watched Fraggle Rock. I so. love Fraggle Rock. Um, they're all so good. But if if, if you don't have any experience with them, uh, I understand. Uh, let's put Big Bird out. <laughs> Big Bird. <laughs> All right, those are our top ten Muppets. Mark, <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, get into the news. Square Enix has sold three of their non-Japanese studios to the Embracer Group: uh, Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal. Are no longer part of Square Enix. Plus, uh, all the like popular IP that were owned by or like and very managed as- by associated those, two, yeah, by associated those. with those studios. Mm-hmm. All for only three hundred million dollars. Which, whenever we're talking about these uh, like big acquisitions, 
Um, we're usually talking about billions of dollars. Um, but in this case, it's $300 million, uh, which... I, this this whole thing is very strange. It raises a, a lot of questions, but let's sort of like keep uh, pounding through the sort of like specifics of this. So some of the franchises associated in this sale are Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Legacy of Cain, and Thief. And of those, I feel like Tomb Raider is the big one. Yeah, uh, Deus Ex is also kind of big, um, but uh, D- Tomb, Tomb Raider for sure is like the big. It's It's Tomb Raider. Right. It's Tomb Raider, Mark. And I feel like Deus Ex was, had a moment. And, you know, like yeah. probably about 12 years ago at this point, they had a few of those games. I just feel like the series was mismanaged. Sure, sure. I guess you could argue the same thing with Thief. That was uh, mm-hmm. a really big series probably like 20 years ago on PC. I mean, you can also sort of argue Tomb Raider, right? Like yeah, those games, true. those games didn't make no impact when they came out. The the uh, most recent trilogy, um, but like they should have been the biggest thing in the world. Well, and I feel like the first one made a big, the biggest impact. But right. by the time the third one came out, no one cared anymore. Nobody cared anymore. Um, but like that was while we were in the like third person cinematic action totally game. Like totally, they uh, should like have the been charted of it all. Yeah, they should have been just like basking in it. <laughs> and I, I just, I'm just laughing because I remember when you and I were playing through. Oh yeah, the first one. Yeah, that's and- right. Uh, on PlayStation 3, and it was so incredibly, like, over-the-top violent. <laughs> like, I just heard there's this part where Lara's rushing down a river, and you yeah. have to use the um, uh, analog stick to, like, move her out of the way of really sharp sticks. Really sharp sticks. <laughs> she got impaled on so much stuff. And she, like, just, just blowing people away with guns left and right. I don't know. It just – it never – ever appeal the this reboot never ever appealed to me yeah but yeah still kind of crazy that it feels like square enix is just giving it away well it seemingly didn't know what to do with it um uh, other games that have come out of these studios um in recent memory include uh two different uh partnerships with marvel um the avengers and guardians of the galaxy both pretty recent games um and also both sort of like underperformers really um, uh, definitely in the sales space, both like underperform sales expectations. Uh, but uh, Guardians at least has like a pretty good critical uh, reputation. Um, and, you know, the Avengers is a uh, sort of uh, online like squad shooter sort of thing. Um, uh, so has sort of a, a middling reputation. But uh, like seemingly both potentially good games and or good games, right? That just either weren't positioned right or weren't budgeted right or something. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy looked fun. And Avengers was marketed as a really big deal, but never really seemed to gain any sort of traction long-term. Yep. Um, And then, so Square Enix press release on the subject notes that the money that they're gaining from it will help them create value for the company by focusing on investments in blockchain, AI, and the cloud. Which is like the least exciting thing that a, a video game publisher can say they're about to invest in, right? Right. Um, well, from my perspective, for sure. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And uh, definitely from my perspective as well. But those are all things that are very trendy, um, very trendy and very like money dude oriented, right? Like uh, if if you're going to try to win over some money guys, um, you don't say, 
uh, we're making a, a bunch of really exciting, innovative games. You say uh, we're investing in blockchain, AI, and the cloud. Yeah. So I feel like there's some speculation that the reason Square Enix is doing this is to make themselves more attractive for acquisition. Yes. But, and that could absolutely 100% be true. But I also, it also just feels to me like it, this was always a weird marriage of studios. Totally. And it happened at a time when a lot of video game, Japanese video game companies were turning their eye worldwide. You know, like uh, Capcom, Square Enix, a, a lot of, you know, the early HD era was figuring out what worldwide audiences wanted and i felt and that I, wasn't just call of duty right exactly yeah. and you know like capcom invested in um you know what developers outside of japan square enix made a big splash by purchasing like idos and these other studios but yeah it always just felt like a weird marriage and one of the things i was wondering is with the explosion in recent years of gaming worldwide and, you know, like uh, Final Fantasy fourteen, the online MMO has never been more popular. There were times where, you know, they didn't yeah. have enough servers recently. And so I wonder, if, do well, you think it's that Square Enix yeah. feels like they don't need to focus, like they don't need like these explicitly four outside of Japan studios anymore because all audiences are appreciating what they're serving up yeah well and like it's so weird because they have always sort of been the ambassadors of like um you know japanese style games and like uh, that that kind of thing that has been uh tolerable to western audiences anyway um like the final fantasy series especially once we get to like seven eight and nine um are that right and then like they only get bigger from there and i wonder if it really did take like you say um 14 um 15 and 7 remake to be like oh yeah no these are worldwide smashes like you don't you don't have to do the american stuff you just do the japanese stuff really really well and everyone wants it yeah so maybe that's part of it but also maybe they are just really trying to sell themselves you know yeah to a bigger developer people have been speculating sony is going to purchase them which like Sony obviously has, and you know PlayStation has a, a pretty strong relationship with uh, Square Enix. Those uh, the game Final Fantasy seven, VII, eight, nine were on the original PlayStation after um, they couldn't work with Nintendo anymore um, for a little while. And uh, you know, like Final Fantasy seven remake is a uh, a PlayStation exclusive still um, to this date. Um, 16 is going to be mm -hmm. at least a timed exclusive for spoken is another, uh, square Enix developed game that is going to be just on PlayStation. So it seems like, um, I mean, they have relationships with everyone, right? Like they've been in the game long enough and have been making multi-platform games for long enough that they have worked with everyone on uh, certain levels of, of exclusivity. And I guess the reason why this is most relevant for us on this show is they also have a, a fair amount of exclusivity with uh, Nintendo, right? Like we've seen it on Switch this generation with uh, Bravely Default 2, with Octopath Traveler, Live Alive is just coming to, or no, maybe Live Alive is coming to everything. I can't no, remember. Live Alive is just coming to Switch. Um, uh, I said Octopath, 
um, and then um, the Triangle Strategy. Um, so, like, there's a lot. There's, there are a lot of games um, that if uh, Sony, you know, rends control over them, are we going to continue to get those sort of partnerships? Yeah. They, they, I have spoken on this show before about how I feel like the last few years of consolidation in the industry yeah. are bad. is bad. Right. And this would be a major bummer to me if uh, Square Enix became like a Sony first-party studio. Yeah, me too. But I mean, there's also... Uh, I, I don't... The, the world that we're heading into um, is strange, right? Because like... You know, you can play MLB The Show, a Sony first-party game, on Xbox. You can play it on Switch. Like, yeah, that does that, like, does that feel different? It, it totally feels different to me because those terms, I'm sure, are dictated by Major League Baseball. But do, do you think that uh, Square Enix would not also dictate terms, or probably not? No, not are you not kidding? if they're being when bought? They're like when they're yeah. giving away, when they're essentially giving away these studios for three hundred million dollars. The studios they didn't know what to do with. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's it, it doesn't seem like they had much. They had something valuable on their hands, but they didn't know how to use it. Yeah, absolutely. Or so it seems. Reggie fils the former Nintendo of America president, has been making the rounds on gaming podcasts and shows to publicize his new book, Disrupting the Game, From the Bronx to the Top of Nintendo. So let's talk about a few of the things he has spoken candidly about in the past week. Uh, before we jump into individual quotes here, I find this whole thing very fascinating uh, that uh, Reggie, he's got a book to sell, right? Like he's and he's not he's not being shy about it. He's like, I'm going on my publicity tour for this. And everyone with a gaming podcast or with a gaming show or a gaming platform of any kind has been like, roll out the red carpet. We give a whole show to Reggie. Yeah. Um, and like I get it, man. Like get get your hustle on. It's good for the shows. It's good for Reggie. Um, but there's something about it that icks me out a little bit. I wonder. Do you? Uh, I obviously have no idea how Reggie feels about anything. But do you think that he's kind of like I, I just for what stealing it, himself for, to answer for, mother yes, three questions? Yes. What, yes. For whatever reason, I get I get the feeling that. You know, like on the publicity tours for movies, when celebrities are sitting there, you know, behind, there's the black backdrop with the right, movie poster, right. and they're sitting there, and, you know, like the local news or IGN or whoever are asking them these, like, quote-unquote, fun questions that they have to be game for, and sometimes you're just like, oh, these people are dying inside. Like, they would rather be anywhere but here. I feel like... That is the feeling I get from Reggie when he's answering some of these questions where he's just like, I would rather crawl out of my skin than have to like talk about this. Right. But this is what I d am doing because I want to sell this book. And this is how I made my name. Yeah. I wouldn't be like, you know, he was working for Pizza Hut before he came over to, um, to, to Nintendo and he could, you know, be a successful business dude anywhere, but being a, the uh, president of Nintendo of America affords him a certain kind of celebrity in certain kinds of circles, and, like, he's using that celebrity now to sell it. And, like, good on you, man. You earned it. But, like, the whole thing does feel just, like, a little, like, okay. He was the video game uh, press's, like, assignment editor for the last week and a half. And it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just very strange to me. So, on so here we are. Yeah, we're we're we going to do it now. Here we are. On the uh, commercial and critical failure of Metroid Other M for the Wii, 
Reggie, uh, this was on the Kind of Funny Games cast. Reggie said, quote, really thought that that was going to be a defining moment of the Metroid franchise. It was giving much more of a perspective about Samus. I really thought that was going to be a killer moment in the franchise's history, and it wasn't. It didn't deliver. Not the business re results. It didn't really touch the player the way we hoped it would. Interestingly, I was in a large group meeting, a strategy meeting with Satoru Iwata and Shigeru Miyamoto and the game developers, and we talked about why not. The point I made to the developers was that it took too long to get into the meat and potatoes of this game. The first five hours of the game, you're kind of, you kind of plotted around. There wasn't a lot of payoff. There was a lot of dialogue, and I'm sure I pissed people off in the room. But the learning here was the player wants to get into this much faster. Yes, there are elements we need to do from a tutorial standpoint to help them understand the game mechanics, but you need to move things along much quicker, and hopefully that advice had a little bit of an impact on the developers in the room. Do you think that's insightful analysis of Metroid Other M? Is that it was too tutorial heavy? I, so Does that ring true to your memory of Metroid Other M? Because uh, it doesn't ring true to me. The tutorial part doesn't really ring true to me. The part that I would give notes on yes. is like less cutscenes yeah. or make them skippable. Well, yes. And also just like... Uh, the the story of that game is a mess, right? Like, I don't think it's there's too much dialogue. I think it's the, the dialogue, dialogue is bad. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, th this whole thing is a for me is a little bit of a, a hit parade of like this guy know what he's talking about. Not does he know what he's talking about? He's a smart businessman and like all that kind of stuff. But I do think there's just like an element here of like he's he's just not right that frequently. Here's. In his see, own reflection. Uh, see, I I kind of see it another way where I feel like it's a little like self-aggrandizing. Yeah. Where it's like uh, like Reggie is right about Oh, he everything. had the solution here. <laughs> right. Right. And so I hope that they listen to me, you know. Um, and look, Other M, like you said, uh, such a great point. It doesn't matter if the cut scheme or like if the dialogue was shorter. The dialogue was just bad. It's like you know, right? Roger Ebert's thing where it's a uh, good movie can never be long, too, too long, long, yeah, and like a uh, bad movie can never be too short. It's like I don't know how you fix Mother, you know, like the specifics of Mother M, but yeah, that that to me is like a theme through all of these anecdotes. Yes, is like I was right and people should have listened to me, which I think is such a uh, funny. But it's also uh, the the, begin the beginning of this quote is I really thought that was going to be a defining moment for the Metroid franchise. He thought he had a hit on his hands. <laughs> we can keep going, and I don't I don't mean to uh, be so overly negative about Reggie, but just this last like publicity tour, um, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll I'm not I don't I don't think we've seen something like this before, and I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. Well, here's one who, that might cut to the bone, Patrick. This is from G4 TV. I'm so mad. <laughs> he says, I have to tell you, as an executive, I hated Donkey Konga. Ugh. I hated it. I fought with our parent company. I thought it was going to hurt the Donkey Kong brand. Personally, I didn't find it a lot of fun to play. I pushed back hard. You know what? We launched it. The first game actually sold reasonably well, but boy, I was not a fan. I mean, what, 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 what? You're playing the bongo drums. I guess uh, th this is before Guitar Hero, right? Yeah. Um. So like, it does take a certain amount of vision to be like rhythm games, and you know, Nintendo didn't follow up on it in a way that uh, let them like ride that rhythm game wave, rhythm game wave. Um. But yeah, it's just uh, for him to be like, yeah, I didn't think it was fun to play. Like, I that's that seems and hurt the Donkey Kong brand. Where was the Donkey Kong brand at this point? 
But also, like, I can't Ooh, fault- don't hurt Donkey Kong 64. <laughs> I can't fault him for not thinking it was fun. But um, do you know an- another thing that I think is interesting about all of these is, it to me, it really reinforces what we've heard in the past where it's like Nintendo of America is essentially a marketing and, you know, like, it's essentially a marketing arm. Yeah, totally. Like, marketing and operations. They seemingly has almost no say on anything. Kind of anything, yeah. yeah. They're, they're Just, they're, like, how to message the things that are already going to happen. Yeah, like, they're basically yeah. just told what is happening, and then they execute it in, you know, a way that I'm just... I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great point because if the president of the American branch of the company says they hate a game and Japan is like, well, you're putting it out anyway. Like, I mean, that's... You do your... I yeah. guess you just like market it the best you can. But th- that's, that's what I, I... I think that's also an interesting point coming out of all of these anecdotes um, and, you know, ones that are have been talked about online that are not from these interviews but from the book itself where there's so much like yeah, we kind of thought this was weird or I didn't think it was a good idea. And sometimes where, you know, he talks about the having Wii Sports be a pack-in yeah. and he says that he had to really convince like Iwata and Miyamoto to do that. And and eventually, you know, they were on board with it and it was a pack-in in the US where it was not a pack-in in Japan. But um, yeah, you realize like, uh, I feel like, Nintendo, and we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about the um, like labor stuff going on at Nintendo of America. But there is so much of this like f- uh, well-oiled marketing facade of what like Nintendo is a, as a company. And now that Reggie is you know like away from that a little bit and is able to talk about some of the decisions more candidly, it's just interesting. It's interesting to hear how the sausage is made. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so on why Mother Three has never come out outside of Japan. This is from Bloomberg. Reggie says, quote, as word of Mother 3's merits spread across... Oh, no, no. This so, is, yeah, this is Bloomberg's... A, yeah. uh, this is a quote from the Bloomberg article. Mm-hmm. As word of Mother 3's merits spread across the U.S., thanks in part to an official, unofficial English fan translation, Nintendo considered finding ways to release it on a new system, but they couldn't make the numbers work, Visa May said. Despite speculation that the infamously risk-adverse Nintendo might have been afraid to bring over the game because of its risque topics, like a heavy critique of capitalism and a gender-ambiguous group of characters, Visa May said it was all business. Quote, That is not at all the issue why Mother 3 in particular never made it to the West, he said. It was all based on the business needs and the business situation at the time. Okay. I mean, I I, I do buy that, uh, just because it's not like um, Earthbound was a like huge seller uh at, at, at that time uh so like it's it is kind of it's still sort of weird um but like yeah if it's just a a numbers thing that like they couldn't well, figure out how to localize it not in the bloomberg article but somewhere else in another interview that he was doing for the um in the he book was promotion. all over the place yeah <laughs> in the book promotion he talked about how you know he and awada had conversations about it and they discussed well maybe we just put you know, like the Japanese ROM, like maybe we just release it. Like we don't do a localization, like looking at basically different options, but that it just totally didn't become a priority because the Wii U was tanking. The 3DS was not doing well. You know what I mean? Like there, there were just too many fires and yeah. it just didn't seem worth the effort. 
I totally buy that. Yeah. No, I, 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 I buy that too. Yeah, you do have to decide at some point, like, how much money are you going to spend to sell how many copies of, of this game? Um, but then, you know, they go and do something like Famicom Detective Club, and I'm like, how on earth did they make money from that? But even the Nintendo of today is different than That's from true. the Nintendo of, like, 10 years ago yeah. as far as, like, scale and what their focus is. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here's one on recent labor complaints at Nintendo. Uh, you know, we talked about the initial uh, complaint that was filed with, like, the National Labor Relations Board. I'm You nailed it. Okay. An LRB. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, and since then, there have been articles in IGN, and I think GameSpot had another one, talking to contractors about the um, atmosphere at Nintendo of America and what it's, you know, there's a very strict division between full-time employees and contractors, and contractors not treated all that, definitely treated like others. Right, and not, they're not being any, uh, like, logical or um, perceivable journey from part-timer to or from contractor to like full-time nintendo employee right and so uh reggie was asked about this during his book book tour and he said quote this isn't the nintendo that i left and what i mean by that is while i was at nintendo we routinely routinely had meetings and events where our associates that's how we referred to our contract employees were invited just as a small example i was famous for doing bi-monthly and quarterly lunches lunches with employees it was a basic sign up and associates were invited to sign up for this as much as full-time employees. We didn't make a distinction. The reports I hear really strike me as not the company I knew. I'll just leave it at that. A core focus while I was at Nintendo of America was having a healthy culture within the company, and I know I was able to achieve that, and certainly what's being described does not seem like a healthy culture. And this came from uh, his discussion with the Washington Post. Here's my thing, though. Yeah, lay it on me. The articles from IGN and GameSpot, like, they have... They talk about instances. They record instances of, you know, this division between full-time and contractors going back to at least 2015 when Reggie was still president of Nintendo of America. Like, he didn't leave until 2019. Right. It, this one feels very disingenuous to me. Well, and maybe more than uh, being disingenuous is just like a how how many of these problems are really going to be seen by the president of Nintendo of America at that point. Like, you know, he's he's doing something to shape the culture for sure, but it's like probably the culture around the full-time employees first and the contractors second. And like, maybe he did think that like things were going okay, but like, it just got to be tough for him to see all of it. Right. right? The, yeah, Absolutely. So uh, yeah, so where where are we after we've <laughs> we've we've gathered all these points of data? Um, Mark, how are you feeling about Reggie Fizeme uh, and his his book tour here? I think that I uh, I think it's been interesting to hear a lot of these like anecdotes, and um, I feel like some of the mystery of Nintendo of America has been lifted by this book tour, mm. uh, which I think is really cool and appreciate, but. Uh, there's just something about it that, and I know he's selling a book that's, uh, it's like a business book. It's about, you know, going out there, working hard, achieving your goals and the lessons that he learned along the way, which that by the nature of that, you know, you're selling yourself and your wisdom. Right. But it, there's just something about it that like, it's like a, you know, grain of sand in my sock. It just, it's just rubbing me the wrong way a little bit. Right. Now, it, I I feel that way too. And I wonder if there is a little bit of like uh, 
on on my on my part a little like Nintendo fanboyism going on where I'm like respect the Nintendo a little bit more. <laughs> you don't have a better idea than Nintendo. Um or what? But I mean I, like I also like I have liked this guy for a long time. Um and maybe it's maybe that's just what it is is that I'm seeing him uh being a little bit more self-serving right now, which feels just a little grosser to me than when he is uh serving the company, which is also just trying to get money from me. So, like, maybe it's all gross. Right. I mean, it's just weird because for so long, we saw... It was presenting himself as, like, um, an agent of Nintendo. Yeah. Right? It was an extension of that. And so, all of his presentations were... Everything he talked about in public, you know, was in service of Nintendo. What he's doing now is basically doing for himself what he did for Nintendo previously. Right. And again, like, I think it totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, you know, but it is... And again, sell that book, man. Like, yeah, it, but it, it's an interesting, like... I, I just find it an interesting revelation. And, you know, we are obviously Nintendo fans. We talk about Nintendo all the time. And so the illusion of, you know, like, what Nintendo presents is something that we totally buy into. Yeah, but totally. I think, But I think it is, like, good and important to see behind the curtain a little bit and be like, oh, yeah, this is just a corporation like right. any other right. that makes dumb decisions or decisions that don't make sense or people make mistakes, you know? Um, and I, so I, I have kind of enjoyed, like, that behind-the-scenes aspect of such a secretive company. Yeah. Uh, do we think now that we are on... I think we're on the other side of, of Reggie's book tour that we... See him again someday? I mean, you think we can get him to do this show when the paperback comes out? Mark, n no. Look, we're not <laughs> we're not part of the Reggie fils uh marketing arm, okay? <laughs> I think we can get him. Okay, we'll get him on. Uh, Summer Games Fest, the now annual digital gaming event, has announced a big showcase called Summer Games Fest Live for June 9th, which is a Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Streaming on all major services, so your Twitter, your Twitch, your YouTube, your Facebook, etc. It's also going to be streamed to select IMAX theaters. Crazy. Which is crazy. Pretty crazy. <laughs> so show organizer Jeff Keighley says it will be, quote, cross-industry showcase with world premieres, trailers, news, and updates from the world's top game developers and platforms. So this, uh, this is the... Thursday before the Xbox showcase, which is coming on uh, the, the Sunday after that. So Sunday the 12th, I guess. Um, and uh, our current, my current prediction, I don't know, Mark, if you've thrown your chips in on this or, or not, that Nintendo would have a direct the Tuesday morning after that. But does this change your, does this June 9th change your thinking about that timing at all? Mm, I guess if anything, it feels like... I. I want to say that it feels like by having this on the 9th and, you know, Xbox just a few days later, that it makes sense that Nintendo would follow with their presentation. I mean, it really just feels like, you know, when Summer Games Fest was first held in 2020, it was like a multi-month type thing. Yeah, yeah. And, but it always, you know... Stretching the definition of summer, Keely, certainly. Keely was always aiming for that E3 crown. Right. And now that E3 has been called off, Coming in strong with this June 9th date, prime E3 territory. I think uh, he's coming for the king. So, right, but can he? We've seen him, uh, you know, premiere Nintendo stuff before, but not 
like this is not a place where you're going to see Metroid Prime 4 or something, right? Like this is where a new Smash character or that's the only example I have. <laughs> uh, I guess, uh, Bayonetta 1 and 2 remake. Sure. Uh, Breath of the Wild DLC Cranky or something. Kong and Tropical Freeze. I'm, all great examples of awesome things that we couldn't wait to get our hands on. Um, but yeah, I don't like. I don't think we're going to see Nintendo stuff at this. I know. I would be we'll surprised. We'll see stuff that will be on uh, Switch for sure. Yeah, it definitely feels like Game Awards type level of announcements for Nintendo if they participate at all. But having this kind of, I mean, we'll see what it actually turns out to be. Yeah. But I mean, the fact that they're do like streaming it to IMAX, it, it it's got to be like something, right? But the fact that you have this kind of like milestone, yeah, big event that is planting its flag in that E three time frame doesn't exactly line up with you know uh, the way that E three used to roll out where the companies like Nintendo would give their presentation before E3 happened. Yeah, you know? this is a good point. But um, but that was all timed because then, like, the stuff that they revealed would be on the show floor and, you know, everything like that. So, and there is no show floor. Basically, what it comes down to is, yeah, I think having this in June in that time frame makes it more likely that Nintendo will have something around then. Yeah, I think something around that. I think it is possible even that they do something the Tuesday before at this point, right? The So June June 7th. I still think the 14th is more likely. Um, but yeah, it, it is wild to think that with uh, Xbox having something already planted on the 12th, that like, what what are the big, what are the big things that are going to be in this Keeley showcase, is PlayStation going to be playing ball with him? Like, what? What is this? But probably a lot of third-party stuff. Although there are there less are of, disappearing. There yes. are fewer and fewer of those. But yeah, I, I guess it'll be interesting to see. Yep. Finally, I know we swore off talking about like Build a Bear reveals anymore on the show. Build a Bear Pokemon reveals specifically, <laughs> and I, I think we've been pretty good about it. I think it's been years since we last talked about one. Uh huh. But. They revealed the Grookey. We gotta talk plush. about it. We gotta talk about this Grookey plush. So Grookey, of course, um, the like f- grass monkey starter from Sun and Moon, Sword and Shield, right? Oh yeah, from Sword and Shield, right? Because the gra- right. grass type from um, Sun and Moon is the the owl. That's right. Rowlet. That's right. Yeah, yeah from um, Sword and Shield, and. It's got a little Hawaiian shirt. He's got a little Hawaiian shirt. It's it's like a little white and green Hawaiian it's shirt. It's really adorable. And uh, so, like, I, so we have to talk about it on the show. Like, our hand is forced here. Yeah, I feel honor bound. I just feel like our, like, listeners would be angry right. if they happened upon it and we didn't, right. like, comment if on it. If one of them just, like, is pointing at it and being like, NCS didn't tell me about this. It's really cute. It's but and yet it is sixty five dollars, which is a lot of money to play for, pay for a little monkey. It's a lot of money. You can buy the shirt separately, apparently. What for like twenty five? But what do you? I do mean, you have to buy the shirt separately, or no, does he no, come no, no, with no, no, the shirt? No, no, no. Okay, okay. I think if you maybe it fits other build a bear bears, or you have. This is a great question. Is a grookey a, a bear? <laughs> no, not even a build a bear. Well, no, it's a it's, it's a, a monkey. It's a monkey, right? Okay, yeah. 
Anyways, sixty five bucks. Sixty five dollars. It's cute. Look up the picture. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy the picture. That's free. All right, Mark. Let's get out of the news. And that is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any place that you can do that. Send us an email or uh, hit us up on Twitter to get on our Discord. It's super fun. Uh, if you like the episode, you should share it on Facebook or Twitter, any old place. Um, it helps out our reach a lot. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nin Cart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Anthony DeLuca made our logo. Our theme music is provided by 8BitBetty. You can get more of his music by going to 8BitBetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying that there were no further music mistakes, so I'm true to my word. Thank you for listening.